So Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized in the Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Amen. We thank God for his word to us this evening. Father, in these moments, once again, we humbly come before your word and ask that you will speak to us and just help us to focus on Jesus and who he is and what he came to do. Write it on our hearts and minds, and may we never forget it so that we will be thoroughly blessed. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. God is never late. God is never early. God is always on time. God has perfect timing. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under heaven. And as we've been learning in our studies in John, Jesus lived knowing of the beauty and the power of divine timing. How many times have we come across this expression, my time has not yet come? It's a repeated phrase in John's gospel. And here in Galatians 4, we see that the coming of Jesus was central to the perfect plan of God. The coming of Jesus was part of his perfect timing. Let's think for a few moments around three things, the plan and the purpose and the privileges that we share from it all. First of all, let's think about the plan. The plan of God, you see, involved perfect timing, but when the time had fully come, That's a beautiful expression. Time had fully come. It means complete. It means fully developed. It's like when the fruit is ripe, ready for harvesting, the time has come. Or it's like the pregnant mum feeling the pain. 
the time has come for the baby to be born. And likewise, when the time had come perfectly, Jesus came. The plan was that God would enter into time and into space at exactly the right time, and the right time had come. Now, much is made of this, and I think it's worthy of thinking about. Why was the time right then and not 100 years earlier or 200 years later? Well, there's a number of things were happening in God's world, all orchestrated by the power and by the sovereignty of God. For instance, the Roman peace, peace like never before was present in the Mediterranean era. Pax Romana is an expression we sometimes hear, and it's true. The Romans brought peace into a troubled part of the world. Before this, the Mediterranean world was full of disorder. It was unstable and uncivilized. But at the time of Jesus' coming, there was a time of tranquility, and so the time had fully come. And then there was a a system of roads. We take the road system for granted, don't we? We complain about potholes uh, in our roads. You didn't have potholes back then because you didn't have roads back then. The expression, all roads lead to Rome, was true because literally the Romans had a, a, a roadway system that enabled the gospel to, to spread right throughout the whole of the Roman Empire. And the ministry of the early church was enhanced and enabled by that. You see, the time had fully come. And then there was a common language. Like never before, there was a common language. If you know the, um, the Acts 2 passage, when the, the church was founded on the day of Pentecost, um, we read there just a, a, of examples of hundreds of dialects and languages that were around in those days. Local dialects, languages were in existence. But now, for the first time, there was, with all those dialects and languages, one common language, the Greek language. The time, you see, had fully come. All of this orchestrated by God, so that when His Son came, the world might hear about it. And then, of course, there was the spiritual vacuum that was present in the world at that time. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Because the ancient society was morally bankrupt. The people were very superstitious, extremely immoral, and totally corrupt. Read Romans 1, and you'll get a picture of what society was like in those days. Paganism and perversion ruled. It looks as if we're returning to those days in this modern era, aren't we? But there was, among many of the nations, a hunger and a thirst for truth, a deep dissatisfaction with the pagan system. And so the carol that we sang this morning states the need, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appeared. There was this desire for something, something true, something good. And so the creator of time and the controller of, the, of history pulled all these things together to prepare the world for the first coming of the Lord Jesus. 
The Old Testament, of course, prophesied and predicted the coming of, uh, and the ministry and the life and the death of Jesus, of course. And Jesus, as we noted a week back at the beginning of, of December, fulfilled all those prophecies and promises and predictions with pinpoint precision. The time had fully come. So what did God do when the time had fully come? Well, He sent His Son. And this speaks of His divinity. Jesus left the place of prominence and privilege in heaven, and He came onto earth. But not just onto earth, He came into the womb of a young woman from Nazareth. I mean, can you even begin to understand that? We've, we tried to think about that this morning, didn't we? The virgin birth and the importance of it all. How the angels must have trembled with awe, thinking to themselves, the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, is in the womb of a young girl from Nazareth. The creator of the universe was carried around in the womb of a woman. Born of a woman speaks of his humanity, of course. God sent a son, divinity, born of a woman, humanity. We're, we're in verse 4, by the way. But when the time had fully come, God sent a son, born of a woman, born under law. Born of a woman, absolutely human, 100% human, just he was 100% divine. That means he knows the hurts and the hardships of the world. He knows because he made us, and he knows because he became one of us. He knows. And he was born under law. What does that little expression mean? Well, you see, the law didn't point out his sin, but actually it pointed out his perfection. When judged against the law, you and me feel. Isn't that right? When judged against the law, Jesus passes 100% every time. See, the law proves our sin. The law proves His qualification to be the Savior for sin. So that's the plan. When the time had fully come, He would send His Son, born of a woman, born under law. But what about the purpose? What, what was it all about? Well, there's two purposes spelled out for us in verse 5. To redeem those under law, and the second one is that we might receive the full rights of sons. To redeem those under the law. That idea, of course, is, comes from the slave market, where, where someone would go and buy the freedom or the ownership of a slave. The idea is rescue and release and deliverance from slavery by the payment of a price. And the price, of course, as far as God was concerned, was the sacrifice of His perfect Son. Only He was good enough to pay the price of sin. Still today, of course, many are tempted to think that God will accept them on the basis of their good works. And Caleb mentioned that in his opening prayer. I hope you picked that up. And the idea is that if you do more good than bad, then bingo, you've, you've hit the jackpot, you're going to go to heaven. Or they, maybe it's a picture like a, you know, a ladder against the wall, and um, the more good deeds you do, the more nice things uh, that you do, the, 
the words that you say and actions that you do and things that you think, and you go up the ladder. Every time you do good, you go up the ladder one step. Every time you do something bad, you go down a step. But you know what? As long as you're getting further up the ladder, then bingo, one day you hit the jackpot. Heaven. No. No one is good enough to do that. You certainly are not good enough to do that, and neither am I. Jesus is the only one who's good enough. Isaiah tells us that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So the bad news is that even your good deeds are not good enough. But the good news is Jesus will redeem you anyway because he is good enough. Do you know what he says to you? I will buy you back. I will redeem you because that's why I came, to redeem those like us under the law, like us. So I know many of you are believers. I know many of you here tonight can say, yes, I know redemption. Jesus has redeemed me, but I know that some of you are not redeemed yet. Maybe you don't even understand what that means, but can I say to you this? Don't try and do it yourself. Accept his offer. Accept his finished work on the cross and be redeemed because you are under law may you be redeemed. The, the second purpose, of course, was that we might receive the full rights of sons. So in other words, he wants to parent us. He wants to redeem us, but he also wants to parent us to become our father. And then when we come to Christ, when, when we're born again of the Spirit, we are placed in God's family. So yes, he forgives us, and he assures us of heaven, and he gives us his Holy Spirit, as we will see in a moment or two, and, and the thing I love most of all, of all the doctrines of grace, the one I love most of all is adoption. He adopts a wretch like me into his family. So Christmas means I can be redeemed. And Christmas means I can be adopted. When the time had fully come, this is what he came to do. But what about the privileges, lastly, verses 6 and 7? Because, because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So two things again, no longer a slave but a son. We've really touched on that. But the, the, I think the one thing we want to maybe hone in on this for a moment or two is that God sent a son to grant people like you and me access into his presence. God sent a son and therefore his spirit to give us intimacy with him. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And, and this intimacy with him brings, I think, a couple of things. It brings closeness to God. It brings confidence in God. And here's the question I sometimes ask is, why are some so confident in their faith? It's because they have had access to God and intimacy with God. Some of you um, 
will know that my father was called Andrew. Uh, and around my home um, area, he was known by many as Mr. McNeely, the elder. He was known as Andrew by friends. He was known by a few as Andy. But to me, of course, he was none of those things. To me, he was Abba. Now, I don't remember calling him Daddy that much. That seems a wee bit... Hmm. But that's what he was. When I think of him, he was Abba, Daddy to me. So I didn't go around saying, Mr. McNeely. I didn't put my hand, Mr. McNeely. Or I didn't say, Andrew. You know, Harry sometimes calls me Al, you know, and that's disrespectful, you know, but uh, <laughs> he'll never do it again. But when I, came to my, when I came to my father, I said, Dad. See, Father, yes, is good. It's a title of respect, but Abba speaks of relationship. And so when Jesus came at the exactly right time, we're no longer slaves, but we're, we're a son. We're a child of God. That's the privilege. And lastly, and since you're a son, God has made you also an heir, verse 7. There's a logic there, isn't there? If by Jesus you become a child of God, it also means that you become an heir of God, doesn't it? Because every son is an heir. An heir inherits the wealth of his father. And Christians will inherit the fullness of the father's wealth he owns the universe. He owns it all. And he's going to give it to us as people. Now, that's beyond imagination, isn't it? That's beyond description. But what the gospel says, that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That's the privilege. You see, when the time had fully come, everything was prepared on earth, everything was ready, the road system, the peace, the common language, the bankruptcy of the pagan religions, everything was prepared, everything was ready when the time had fully come, all orchestrated by God to the Father. The purpose was clear, 300 or so prophecies would have to be fulfilled and uh, redemption would have to be bought, and adoption would need to be processed. And the privilege for the likes of people like me and you is also clear. No longer slaves, but sons. And not just sons, but heirs. The time had fully come. I wonder, has the time fully come for you? Maybe you're sick and sore and tired of the lies of Satan. You're sick, sore, and tired of the emptiness of self, 
selfishness and sin. You're sick, sore, and tired of the false promises of the world. You keep looking to buy satisfaction and meaning and purpose, and there's none of it out there. And maybe, perhaps, someone, someone presented the good news to you, and somebody else might have explained the good news to you, and somebody else might have witnessed the power of the good news to you, and you're still not a Christian. Well, the time has surely come, hasn't it? The time to believe and the time to receive. The time for you who are believers to live confidently in God and to live passionately for God and to give up with this part-time weekend hobby. The time has fully come for us to stand up and be counted. The time has fully come for us to live holy lives unto Jesus, to abandon self and sin, to receive the Savior and live for His glory. The time had fully come and Jesus came. And by the way, the time will fully come again and Jesus will return. Remember, God is not rushed. He doesn't come too soon and He will not come too late. He will come again. The first time He came quiet, quietly and humbly and privately in many ways, the second time He will come loudly and confidently and publicly First time he came to save, the second time he'll come to judge. The time has fully come. See, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation, as Paul writes, because the time has fully come. See, our problems in our heads, in our lives, and in our world are destroying us. Our problems are destroying all that is good because there's so much of the image of God still in us, but we're sin is destroying it. Our enemy is hurting us. Our enemy is destroying our children and our marriages and our society. <clears throat> the time come for Jesus to rule and reign in our hearts and minds. And so, as we might say, the time came and He came to save. The time has come to be reconciled to God. The time will come, and we might say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. God's timing is always perfect. Never too late, never too early, just on time. Have you something to say to Jesus? This Christmas, this moment, let's pray. If you're not a believer and you've been fighting this gospel message and this truth for, for as long as you can remember, then 
Confess your sin. Recognize your Savior. Believe in him and receive from him your salvation. And if you are a believer, but you've been living part-time for Christ, very part-time, restricting his rule and reign in your life, in fact, living more for yourself than for him, then repent of your sin. Believe and receive forgiveness. Lord Jesus, thank you for the wonderful plan that you were sent as the Son of God, your divinity, born of a woman to show your humanity, born under the law to show that you were qualified to be the redeemer and the adopter of people like us. Thank you. And thank you for the privilege of being a child of God. And thank you for making us heirs of God. And you're not finished with us yet. And this Christmas, may our hearts be full of praise and wonder and awe of our Savior and our God. Bless us, Lord, as individuals, as families, and as a church. May we honor you and love you these days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.